Father, you are our living hope. Lord, through Jesus Christ, His life, His death, His resurrection, it's not a hope that we simply have in our minds, philosophical. It is a living hope. You are a living hope. And we look for the day The day when we shall no longer have to look through a glass dimly, but we shall see You face to face. Father, we are grateful that we celebrate as a living hope life. You're the Creator and Author of life. We bow before You. Lord, as we look into Your Word today, open our hearts and our minds. Allow us to see what You have determined from before the foundation of the world to see. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. You will note in the bulletin that I'm speaking from Psalm 45, not. (laughs) That was not a mistake. It was, in fact, uh, last night at about 6 or 6.30, I decided to say something else. So, (laughs) flexibility is the key to air power, as they say. So just relabel the top of your note sheet to Luke 24:13 through 32. For some reason or another, since about eight or so on Wednesday morning, I simply couldn't get the road to Emmaus out of my mind, and so I thought that perhaps this is from the Lord. Let me speak to that. So it was in uh, April of 1989 that my friend Myron, the man who I served in the army with, the man who introduced me to Jesus Christ, died with me at his side, providing what comfort I could. Last words do bring a measure of comfort. In November of 1992, my brother called me and said that my mom had been killed in a car accident. In January 2009, my brother called me and told me that his only son, Joshua, had been killed near Kirkuk in Iraq. No goodbyes that time, no final words. The the final words that had been spoken uh, were unknown at the time, having already been said they were the last. And then grief sets in, and most of us have received messages of that kind. And perhaps you've rushed across the continent only to find that you were too late, or perhaps you could be like Barb here and get there in time and be able to care for her dying mother. And proper goodbyes said... Sometimes our loss is profound. Our grief is intractable and the sadness remains despite our faith because we know on the day of our loss 
that that's also the day that our hard, perhaps the hardest work that we ever do, begins. We begin a slow, unwelcome dance with a companion, a new companion, grief. I've done too many funerals, not not too many to count, but rather too many to remember. And yet, through that, in those times, I've always found comfort in the words of Jesus Christ, I am the resurrection and the life. And those words that Jesus spoke bring to those who believe a sense of joy and relief and comfort, but still, as human beings, we grieve. But our culture is not patient with grief, not at all. Back to work, resume the rhythm of life. And we all play along dutifully. We assume others are doing fine, even though we know better and they know better. But to act otherwise is just too uncomfortable. It's, uh, in so many ways, causes too much distress to so many people. One does not know what to say to grieving people. And that's a good thing because we don't need to say anything. What we need to do is listen and uh, be present with them as they tell their stories and talk through their sadness. That's one of the reasons this Thursday, beginning at uh, this Thursday evening, we begin a, um, a grief share support group, 6.30 to 8 in the chapel no sign up, no attendance, just uh, just show up and be and be cared for. Now the ancient Greeks had a word for this kind of sadness. It was skuthropos. It's a fascinating word. It's a very interesting word. The word itself indicates that the face cannot hide what is in the heart. So your, your face, it's as you look in the mirror and what you see is your soul. And so the pain and the discouragement and the sadness that's there is reflected in one's face. It cannot be hidden from view. You know it when you see it. You just simply know it. It's unselfconscious. It's not designed for effect. It's not designed for attention. Simply an outward expression of an inward state. And that's the word that we find in our text today. We find this word, skuthropos. The Hebrew equivalent is found in Nehemiah 2, 1. 1. You don't need to turn there, I'm just going to read very briefly. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, When wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been skuthrapas in his presence before. This is a one-time event in his life. He had never, ever allowed his face to show sadness to the king. And yet it was such a state that he was unable not to do that. Proverbs 25.20 says this, Whoever sings... Songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day or pours vinegar in soda. There's no warmth. If you've ever poured vinegar in soda before, there's no calm either. 
Turn with me to our text. We'll be looking at Luke 24, 13 through 32. So in 24, 13 through 32, we find the story that we're all familiar with on the road to Emmaus. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking scuthrapas. Then one of them, named uh, 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 Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they didn't see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have said, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the to them, in all the Scriptures, the things concerning Himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if He was going further. But they urged Him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So He went in to stay with them. And when He was at table with them, He took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while, we, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told him what had happened on the road, and now... He was known to them in the breaking of bread. Only Luke records this story. Uh, the journey to Emmaus, as we will see, is both a literal and a spiritual one. On the one hand, it's the story of two disciples who after the crucifixion and the resurrection walked the seven miles from Jerusalem to the village of Emmaus. And on the other hand, it outlines the journey that each one of us take 
in that kind of pain. And at first, what we find here is, is uh, they, by implication, we do not recognize Jesus. But then we move to recognition, understanding, and finally to giving witness or, or testimony. According to Luke, it was that same day. What same day? The passage explains it. The women had gone to the tomb, so this was Sunday morning. And so this was late on that day, resurrection day. The day that all time and space and eternity hinge on and turns. And then the, the story, though, is, is, is a bit curious. So we have this opening here in 14 through 16. They were walking with each other, uh, talking about everything that had happened, and they talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus Himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing them. So Jesus Christ Himself, the risen Lord, catches up with them on the road at a quick pace. Of course, they were probably walking quite slowly. And they were kept from recognizing Him. I mean, what does that mean? They were kept from recognizing Him. Did Jesus look different after His resurrection? Was this just some guy that came up to Him who they had clearly known personally? And they No, they were kept from recognizing Him. This was something divine that was happening here. And so He did this for a reason. And we know that other disciples in other places recognized Him immediately. We find a clue to the answer to that question in verse 25, where Jesus called them foolish and slow of heart to believe the Scriptures. Their outward inability to recognize Jesus Christ for who He was was representative of their inward failure to recognize who He really was. That is the Messiah. I mean, and we see this and understand Jesus was not toying with them. He was teaching them. He was going to bring them to a point where they would not have been able to go before had He not took this route. And we understand that before He could open their physical eyes, He had to open their, uh, the eyes of their heart, or their spiritual eyes. Why? Because as we're told in Corinthians, that we, it is utmost, of the utmost importance that you walk by faith, not by sight. Luke 24:17 reads this way, And he said to them, what, what are you talking about? What's this conversation that's going on here? And they stood still looking sad. There's our word. Don't allow it, please, to escape from your attention. Because both in our actions and our feelings, we parallel those men on the road to Emmaus when we grieve or are sad. Often when, when people are hurt, they move away from the source of the pain. Uh, these guys were getting out of Jerusalem. They were moving on to Emmaus, don't know where they were going uh, from there, but you'll see, because we read the text, you know that the first thing that they do, once they recognize and understand who they were talking to, in the night, went straight back to Jerusalem. They went back 
to the place where their pain had caused them to stop going. And we all do this. We all do it to this, to this very day. There are several songs that cause me a fair amount of distress when I hear them played because they were playing while I was in intensive care with my friend Myron and I left those songs behind. I don't care to hear them even to this day and that was 30 plus years ago. In the military though, or the police, uh, or your firefighters, any of your first responders, there's something that's absolutely different. And that is this, when, when they hear shots fired, literally and for us metaphorically, they run to the sound. They do not run away from the sound. They go there in order to intervene. I mean, for us, maybe metaphorically, the shots fired could be an accident or a tragedy or simply a place and time you do not want to go back to. Sometimes it's not a song. Sometimes we actually move away from the Lord. I did a lot of research on the chaplain corps and what combat or being, uh, being exposed to that does to faith. And it's not always good. For most, it strengthens faith, faith, but not for all. That includes believers. I'm always a little uncomfortable, though, when I hear, uh, you know, that if you feel, and you've heard this, perhaps you've even said it, you know, if you feel far from God, guess who moved? And there's truth to that, right? But it's a little too snarky for me. And here's the... Here's what I would rather think and uh, along those lines is when you walk away from Jesus, not only does He walk towards you, He catches up with you. <laughs> That's what Jesus does. That's what He did here. And unlike you, He never tires. And His pursuit does not end. He runs toward the sound of danger. And the danger that may be happening because of the pain in your soul. But these uh, disciples, these men, they were startled by his question in 18 and 19. And they say, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Who are you? Where are you from? What Were you in a coma? What in the world? Nobody could not know this. And Jesus says, Jesus says, what things? (laughs) I I think that's the most ironic statement in all of Scripture. Because, of course, he, He lived them. He experienced them. But He has a purpose here. And it's not something that we're not familiar with. You know, He's using this irony uh, the way... You would find in, uh, if you were watching a movie, you know, and the music came on, and then you knew the bad guy was in there waiting, but the hero didn't, you know. Or, you know, you're reading a book, and you get clued in onto something that's going to happen, but, but, but no. And so you're saying, look, look, you know, he's up on a roof. Of course, you know he's on the roof. Everybody knows he's on the roof, except for, except for the good guy. Anyway, they were... They had these 
preconceived notions of who Jesus was. And it wasn't, it was good, but it wasn't who he was. Because they were looking for something in the Messiah that did not come. You know, they were looking. If you were a Jew and the last big thing that the Lord had done was to part the Red Sea and now the Messiah is come, what was he going to do? I mean, if Moses could part the Red Sea, what would Messiah do? They were expecting the parting of the Red Sea and what they got was Jesus. Okay, so there was no parting of the Red Sea. Maybe you could give him a big sword and put him on a white horse and come in and overthrow Rome. So they're looking for a king riding in on a horse, arrayed for battle. What they got was Jesus. They were looking for someone to set them free from their suffering. What they got was someone who set them free through His suffering. It wasn't the overthrowing of Caesar, but it was the overthrowing of sin. Now, I'm deeply encouraged by this response of Jesus when He says what things. We've, we've actually seen this before. Most people, they take this, they read this, and they, they note some sort of element of uh, sarcasm in here. I do not at all. In the same way with Elijah, when Elijah was, was there and he was hiding himself away, he had separated because of uh, grief and fear from everyone and he was alone and he was uh, literally wanted to die. And yet we hear, why are you here? And again, a lot of writers, they say, well, you know, that was a, he was ch- chastening him. I don't believe that at all. I take it as a legitimate question. He wanted them to talk. He wanted them to speak. He wanted them to tell their story. Because people who experience this kind of sadness, they need to unburden themselves. And the amazing thing is, is that God created us as a community such that you can't do it by yourself can't there's something about this that goes beyond us and so jesus gently prods them to share their thoughts and they said to him he says what things in 19 through 24 and they said to him concerning jesus of nazareth a man who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before god and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, I love the song that we sang, Jesus is our living hope. And they're saying, Jesus is dead. We had hoped, but we were wrong. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day. And then he goes on, he talks about the women. They were shocked. I mean, these two disciples, they were in stunned disbelief that anyone could not know these things. And they called him what? It's interesting to hear the words they used. They said that he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. I don't know, maybe he's another Isaiah. 
Maybe he's another Elijah. Maybe another Elisha. I don't know. I don't know. You know what they didn't say? They did not say he was the Messiah. They were not rejoicing in the Messiah that he had risen from the dead. They thought he was dead and gone. They were disappointed. They were discouraged. They were disbelieving. Jesus was not who they thought. And Jesus knew this. And how do I know he knew this? Here's what he says. Oh, foolish. Foolish. Slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Why doesn't Jesus just tell them, it's me. Open your eyes. I am risen from the dead. That's no, a... He didn't do that because he had this purpose. He wanted them to understand internally who he was. And had he said, oh, by the way, it's Jesus and opened up their eyes. Do you think for one second they would have heard a single word he had to say after that? Not a word. It would have been gone. This opportunity would have been lost to them entirely. He had something very important that he wanted to share with them. And he gave them the greatest Bible study ever. How cool is that? How would you like to have Jesus himself teach you from the Old Testament the things concerning himself? What an amazing study that would have been. And you look at their testimony about this because it really got to them in 24 and verse 32. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? Sometimes the fire in our hearts begins to grow dim because of loss and disappointment and grief and doubt. But you know what? Jesus Christ will always meet you where you are. He specializes in that. He will catch up with you. He will come alongside of you. And so, in verse 28, So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's, you know, I love that little phrase, The day is far spent. So he went to stay with them and he was at the table with them. He took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them and their eyes were opened and he vanished from their sight. And it's just that here that this text intersects with a deep theological uh, understanding that I want to pull the thread on for just a second. Jesus took considerable time to walk with these two, to talk with these two, to teach these two. And that, in fact, is what God has called each one of us to do. We are to take the time that we need to to journey with the people who are on the road to Emmaus. We open the Scripture to them. We pursue the broken, the wounded, the outcast, those who have walked away from God and His Christ. Far from saying, oh, just cut them off because they, they have left the fold. No. 
We're called to continue as best we're able to bring them in. And then there's more here. Because there is this sense of where there's a notion that will, that will make sense momentarily. And that is this, that through the history of the church, there has been a, an emphasis on either purity and or unity. Uh, truth, um, community, those, those, those kinds of things. Stated the way we probably most heard it, light in Christ as opposed to life in Christ. And it's not a dichotomy. It's a, it's a continuum. It's not one or the other. It's both and. You have to have both held in balance in order to make the difficult and hard decisions in life. I mean, if you move too far towards purity, pretty soon you're going to be the only one that's left. Because you're the only one who's determining what truth is. And yet we've been designed to be in community with one another. And if you go too far towards unity, you end up with like universalism or something because you don't stay together at all costs. So there's a balance that you, that you have to maintain. But one of them, I believe, has priority. And we see this. We have a, we have a clue here as we look at this. Their eyes... Now listen. Jesus Christ taught them. The Lord taught them. And yet while the Lord was teaching, their heart was burning, but their eyes were not open. Knowledge does not get you to Christ. Relationship is what brings you to Christ. And that relationship was expressed, that life was expressed when He broke the bread and their eyes were open when they saw that they were in relationship with Him. There's two places where Jesus Christ broke the bread. Luke 9.16 and the Last Supper. Both these places give us a picture of the Messiah, both as king and sufferer. So we have here, you know, remember when he provided the bread and the food? And then the next day they said, we want that guy. We want him to be our king. Why? Because he can feed us and we don't have to work the fields anymore. How cool is that? And then you have the Passover the second time. Bread is my body broken for you. Blood shed for you. Life is more, most important for a very simple principle. Light cannot enter lifeless eyes. So it's a joyful experience when we recognize Jesus for who He is. Not just a prophet, mighty in word and deed, but Messiah, Savior, Creator, they understood skuthrapas. They understood that, but they also understood this amazing experience and that, that that sense of sadness that was reflected on the mirror of their face was turned to joy 
when they recognize Jesus Christ as Messiah, Savior, and risen Lord. This past Wednesday morning, while I was walking across the parking lot, let myself in the chapel, I found myself, as all of you did at one point or another, unexpectedly on the road to Emmaus. Barbara Knorr, no longer with us. We experienced skuthropas. I'm not sure I can hide that from my face now. But if there's one thing that Barbara would have us remember, it is this. The joy in recognizing Jesus for who He is, Messiah. Jesus Christ, the one who lived a sinless life, who died a terrible death on the cross and rose again from the grave that those who believe might be forgiven of sin, might live an abundant life, and might spend eternity with the one who knows us best and loves us most. So in closing, let us remember the well-known words of Mary Stevenson who wrote this. One night, I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Many scenes from my life flashed across the sky and each scene I noticed footprints in the sand. Sometimes there were two sets of footprints, other times there were only one. This bothered me because I noticed that during the low periods of my life when I was suffering from anguish, sorrow, or defeat, I could see only one set of footprints. So I said to the Lord, Lord, you, you promised me that if I followed you, you would walk with me always. But I've noticed that during the most trying periods of my life, there have been only one set of footprints in the sand. Why? When I needed you most, you have not been there for me. The Lord replied, The times when you have seen only one set of footprints is when I carry you. Are you walking away, perhaps even running away from God? I invite you this morning to believe Him. Take Him at His word. I am the truth and the way and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Me. Jesus' words speak to us this morning. And may you today see His face by looking at His hands, by looking at His feet, by looking at His side and by communing with Him as He breaks bread with you. Father, we are deeply grateful, completely dependent 
stunningly in need of your mercy and your grace. For put bluntly, this life is just too difficult to live without you. Not live well. Not without crusted over with all manner of other things, but to move freely with flexibility and love and care and concern and compassion and meaning. Yeah, that takes Jesus. We thank you, we praise you through Christ our Lord. Amen.